Father, may we believe. Down deep inside, may we believe what we have just sung. That Jesus is enough. So now as we open your word, what we know not teach us, what we see not show us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us. For the glory of Jesus and in his name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, team, outstanding, leading us this morning in singing to our great and glorious King Jesus. A couple of things. If I, I would encourage you this morning to find in your, Bible, in your Bibles Mark chapter 9. So Gospel of Mark chapter 9. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Mark is the second book of the New Testament. Mark chapter 9 this morning. And as you're finding your place there, let me just remind you, we are going to conclude our gathering today around the table and um, remembering our Lord's death and so if you did not pick up a communion cup on the way in, they're out in the lobby, feel free to, to make your way there and do that now. And then as you're finding your way there, let me just say to you, God's word is filled with big moments. Would you agree with that? God's word is filled with big time moments. The Israelites crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. David whooping up on Goliath. That's the way we said it in Missouri growing up, all right? Whooping up on Goliath. Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, his cross, his resurrection. Today's text in Mark chapter 9 is a top five moment in the Bible. It's where God in his grace and kindness reveals his glory to his struggling disciples the glory of Jesus, which will be displayed in a shocking way on a cross and in an empty tomb. This is the word of our God. Let's begin reading in Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, where Jesus says to the disciples and the crowd there, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And then after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. He led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, because they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah, that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. 
And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. This is one of the top five moments in the Bible, and this is the word of God. So let me ask this morning, have there been any mind-blowing wow factor moments in your life that you will never forget? Race back through your memory just for a few moments here. For me, there are a couple of them have been driving under the ocean in the Chesapeake Bay Tunnel. Anybody ever been there? I'm the only one. Okay, there are four, five, six of you have been driven under the ocean in the Chesapeake Bay Tunnel. Um, How many of you have ever stood at the bloody angle in Gettysburg? Fewer. Okay, so evidently I'm I'm just crazy and weird. These are things that stick with me. Um, one of the, another thing that sticks with me is the beautiful blue hue of the ocean when we were flying into Turks and Caicos. But most of the big time, oh, oh there's one more. Uh, since the World Series has just concluded, um, on October 27, 1985, my 14th birthday, my team growing up, the Kansas City Royals, won the seventh game of the World Series on my 14th birthday. Thank you, Royals. (laughs) But most of those big-time wow moments revolve around Joanna. In fact, I still remember the first day I laid eyes on her at Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa, as she was coming out of her dorm to meet a guy that wasn't me. (laughs) Obviously, she didn't know what she was missing. Obviously, she was out of God's will at that time, but now she is in God's will And so I still remember, I can tell her what she was wearing at that moment. And then there was April 2nd, 1993, on the steps of the Iowa State Capitol, looking down over the city of Des Moines and Locust Avenue, when I slipped the engagement ring on Joanna's finger that she wasn't expecting. And her first words were, no way. (laughs) And so I said, well, give it back. Okay, so it all worked out. She was just blown away. And then in June of 1994, when we made our marriage vows in Calvary Baptist Church of Highland, Indiana, the births of our children, each of them indelibly imprinted upon my memory. Mark chapter 9 is to these disciples what those memories are to us. This is a mind-blowing, life-changing, never-going-to-forget-this-kind-of-moment because before this scene, the disciples are struggling. Their doubts are intensifying. Their faith is faltering. They are confused by God's plan. You ever been there? When you think you know what God is doing because what's happening in your life squares perfectly with the Bible and how God is revealed in the Bible, and then bam, you're blindsided by God. Something happens, and you're like, God, this doesn't seem to fit with who you are and how you work. Ever been there? As these disciples, 
They're expecting a Messiah who will rescue his people by riding into town on the back of a white stallion, wielding the sword of heaven and taking off the head of Rome. But Jesus isn't following that script. There are no, there are no horses or swords, only a cross and a tomb. And Jesus knows that his disciples are confused. He knows that they need confirmation that he really is the Messiah. That he doesn't just have the answer to their questions. That he himself is the answer to their questions. He's going to clear up that confusion by revealing himself to them in a way they could never expect or anticipate. In a way they have never seen. He's going to pull back the veil of his humanity and he's going to give them a glimpse into his deity, his glory, his godness. He's going to give them everything they need to trust him. And God does the same for us. Do you believe that? In every situation, every moment, That God gives us everything we need to trust him because that's the big idea of this text. He gives us everything we need. Maybe you feel like God's holding out on you this morning. Like you're you're missing something you really need in order to really trust him. Maybe you're in a season of waiting and God seems so inactive. Maybe you're looking for guidance and direction but God seems so silent. Maybe God has said no to what you've been asking him for and you don't get why. If he just gave you more information, if he answered more of your questions, it would be so much easier for you to trust him. If that's you, you are right where these disciples are right here. But God does not pull away from them in their struggle. He pulls them close. He reassures them of his promises, just like he does with us. But maybe you're here this morning and you can't claim those promises because you aren't a follower of Jesus yet. Maybe you're a teenager or you're a 20-something and and in a world that's dominated by smartphones and superheroes and sci-fi, Jesus just seems so boring, so meh. If that's you, then this scene is here to show you just how captivating the glory of Jesus really is and to draw you into that glory. It all begins right here in verse 1 where Jesus wraps up his teaching on crosses and dying with this promise. Verse 1. Some of you who are standing here, Jesus says, will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. That's the prelude to the mind-blowing experience that's about to go down up on the mountain. Jesus says that some of his disciples will see what they've been longing to see from Jesus. They will see God's kingdom in all its power and glory. Now, you want to have some fun? You want to have some fun? Take three, three theologians and lock them into a room and say to them, you are not coming out until each of you agrees on what Jesus means when he says that some of you here won't, won't die until you've seen my glory. Now, I thought that was kind of funny. 
All right, lock three theologians in a room until they can agree because they're not going to agree. Some of them are going to say, well, obviously Jesus is speaking here about his resurrection and some of the disciples, they will not die until they see the resurrected Christ. Others think it refers to um, Acts chapter two in the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes in power. Still other theologians think that Jesus is referring here to what's going to happen in six days when Jesus takes three of these disciples up on the mountain and reveals to them his glory. And you say, Pastor Ken, well, what do you believe? I don't know. But I do know that he knows, Jesus knows, the disciples are struggling after all of this talk about death and dying. And so if you forced me to choose between these options, I'd say that Jesus is saying, it's going to be okay, guys. Three of you will see from me what you expected to see. I'm going to give you a glimpse. I'm going to show you my power and my glory, and it's going to blow you away. I love that Jesus says this. I love that after Jesus says hard things about denying yourself and taking up your cross and losing your life, that he gives us a big-time promise that these disciples will see his glory. You know, the same is true for us. If you're struggling this morning with denying yourself, taking up your cross, losing your life for Jesus, then this scene is God's good gift to you. He's giving you a glimpse into the glory of Jesus through these disciples. So I say to you this morning, see through their eyes, hear through their ears, take it all in, catch a glimpse of the glory and the power of the kingdom that awaits you in heaven. It's Jesus and all his glory. This momentary glimpse on this mountain will one day give way to an eternal gaze in heaven where you'll be captivated with the unspeakable glory of Jesus. In just a few more days or a few more months or a few more years, you'll be enveloped in Jesus' glory forever. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It's what John, one of these three disciples, writes in Revelation 22, verses 4 and 5. He says this, We will see his face, and his name will be on our foreheads, and night will be no more. We We will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be our light, and we will reign with him forever and ever. Amen? This is a glimpse of that. So in your questions, in your confusion, in your struggle to believe that God has given you everything you need right now to trust him today, hold on to this glimpse of Jesus' glory. It's a peek at what's coming. When after six days, Jesus takes three of his disciples up onto a mountain. Now Mark, notice here, Mark does not tell us which mountain but it's probably Mount Hermon, which is right near Caesarea Philippi where Jesus has been hanging out with his disciples. And Mark doesn't tell us what they're doing up on the mountain, but Luke does in Luke chapter 9. He tells us that that Jesus takes Peter and James and John up on the mountain to pray and that while they're up there praying, they're nodding off just like some of you are doing right now. 
when suddenly they are awakened by not just a bright light, but by the most dazzling, translucent light they've ever seen. It's radiating from Jesus' clothing, which is whiter and brighter than anything Clorox could pull off. But it isn't just the clothes of Jesus that are dazzling. Luke tells us that Jesus' face is shining like the sun in all its glory. Because he is being transfigured in front of these disciples. Now, we don't have a category for, for this. And neither do these guys. This is a once-in-forever event. And that's why Mark chooses to describe what's happening to Jesus by taking two Greek words and smushing them together. The two Greek words are meta and morphe. It's where we get our word metamorphosis, which means change or transformation. So Jesus' appearance is transformed before them. Nothing on the inside of Jesus changes because Jesus has been and always will be God. And so his nature never changes, but his appearance changes right here. His face is now radiating and shining. And because these guys know their Old Testament, they know that whenever God shows up, he shows up as a dazzling, blinding light. It's the Shekinah glory light that overtook Moses on Mount Sinai. It's the aura of heaven's angels that overtook the night sky to announce Jesus' birth. And now it's these disciples who are taking in the glory glow of God himself in the face of Jesus. And suddenly, it begins to make sense to them. Suddenly they are beginning to understand that Jesus had always possessed the glory of God as the Son of God, but that he had kept his glory veiled or hidden or covered until now. When he knows his disciples are struggling, when he knows they're stumbling over the thought of a Messiah who will die and rise again. And as the disciples' hearts are racing and the blood is pumping, suddenly it isn't just what they see that grips them, it's what they hear. Because Jesus is suddenly in conversation with two guys. Two guys on the mountain who weren't there just a moment ago. And they recognize these two guys. Now, you know, you, you wonder what pastors think about on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday as they're preparing to preach to you. Here's one of the things we think about. How did these disciples recognize Moses and Elijah as Moses and Elijah? I mean, there were no cameras back then. No photographs. I mean, you didn't have pictures hanging on your wall as a Jewish young man or in your classroom of Moses and Elijah. Again, I think that's kind of funny, but evidently you guys don't think that's funny, what, what pastors think about during the week. I don't know how they recognize these guys, but they do. Now, these aren't just two random Old Testament guys. These guys are Hall of Famers. These guys are the goats of Jewish history, the greatest of all time. 
They've been dead for hundreds of years, but here they are alive on the mountain with Jesus, talking with Jesus. And at this point, I can just imagine Peter blinking and rubbing his eyes and whispering to James and John, are you guys seeing what I think I'm seeing? And James is saying, yep, I'm with you. And John says, me too, but I don't know what to do with this. Now, let's just hit the pause button on this scene for just a moment. Because, listen, there is so much symbolism here from the Old Testament that we could chase down through rabbit trail after rabbit trail after rabbit trail. I mean, we don't just have Moses and Elijah showing up. We have a cloud enveloping a mountain, and that takes us back to Moses on Mount Sinai when he receives the Ten Commandments from God. It takes us back to the tabernacle where God would often reveal his presence to his people through that glory cloud at the door of the tabernacle. I mean, there is so much here that I could spend an entire sermon unpacking the symbolic significance of all this. But instead, we'll leave that for another time. Instead, let me share a point of application. Moses and Elijah are here on this mountain to encourage our faith. Because these two men preached and prophesied about the coming Messiah. And now they're standing here on this mountain with the Messiah, saying to the disciples and to us, God isn't just about promises made in the Old Testament. He's about promises kept in the New Testament. Jesus is the Messiah. And here we stand in the glow of his glory, saluting him as the Christ, the promised one. We're testifying to you. We're telling you by our presence here that God is trustworthy for all his people in all places and in all times. So trust him. Trust him even when the fulfillment to his promise doesn't look like you think it should. Trust him when he answers your prayer, but not in the way you expect Trust him when you feel feel like he isn't listening or responding. So when you want clearer direction or more information, open your Bible and look to this mountain where the glory of Jesus is so totally terrifying and yet so deeply satisfying. You see, it's terrifying, and you can, you can do a study of this throughout the Scriptures, that when men, mere mortals, come face to face with God's glory, they are scared to death. And yet there's something about it where they want more of it. And that's what's happening here. The presence, the glory of Jesus is so terrifying, yet so deeply satisfying, that it draws these three men in, and us 2,000 years later with them. It's all too much for Peter to take in. He's speechless, and if you know Peter, that's saying something, right? But when he's finally able to speak, he blurts out, Rabbi, it's so good to be here taking in your glory. You know, we need to hear that. 
We need to hear that. We were created to glorify God by enjoying his glory forever. It's what's coming for us if we are a child of God by faith in Jesus. It's what's coming for us in heaven. It's what David writes about in Psalm 16 verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen, there will be nothing disappointing about heaven. There will be nothing disappointing about the glory of Jesus. There will never be a bad day. There will never be a boring moment. There will never be even a hint of sadness. Because Jesus is there in all his glory. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the presence of Jesus' eternal glory, our joy will always be full, yet always increasing. That's what Peter is feeling in this moment, on this mountain. And that's why he says, Jesus, I've got a great idea. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. This is so good, so glorious. It's everything we never knew we always wanted. Let's never go back to the way things were. Let's set up camp here and stay here forever, Jesus. This is what we were built for. But no, Peter... Jesus can't do that. Remember what he just said in Mark chapter 8? He must die. The cross must precede the crown. The suffering must precede the glory. And that's when a voice speaks to the disciples out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. It's the voice of God. It's the voice that spoke audibly to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's the voice that spoke directly to Moses and Joshua. And now for the first time in their lives, the Heavenly Father is speaking directly to them. Jesus is my beloved Son, so listen to Him. Listen, guys. God is saying to the disciples, Jesus is speaking the truth. My plan for him is a cross. And so remember this day, remember this moment on this mountain, remember my words. Because there is coming a day when my son is not going to look very powerful or glorious. He's going to look helpless and hopeless. Like a victim rather than a victor. Like a criminal rather than the king. So when Jesus is hanging on a cross, remember that he possesses all power and all authority in heaven and on earth, along with all my glory, because he is my son. And these words aren't just for these men. These words are for us. Because like them, there will be times when what we see doesn't seem to fit very well with what God has said. But remember, looks can be deceiving. It doesn't always look like God is fulfilling his promises to us. It doesn't always look like he's working all things for our good. It doesn't always seem like God is giving us everything we need to trust him. But he is, just like he is right here with these disciples. When suddenly... As soon as it begun, had begun, it's over. 
God pulls the curtains on this mountain scene. The cloud is gone. Moses and Elijah are gone. And we might be tempted to think that Jesus' glory is gone, but it isn't. It's just veiled and covered once again in the aftermath of this event. And so as Jesus and his three disciples come down off this mountain, Jesus says, guys, let's just keep this between us. You're starting to get it. The wheels are turning, but you've still got a ways to go. Because you still aren't getting what I mean when I say I'm going to rise from the dead. And the disciples respond like they haven't even heard Jesus. Jesus, today's been awesome. We've seen your glory. We're convinced you're the Messiah. But there's just one last thing. Because, because the religious leaders tell us that before Messiah brings God's kingdom, Elijah must come and restore all things. So Jesus, is that what we just saw up on the mountain with Elijah? Are you going to bring the kingdom now? Because we're ready, Jesus. We're really ready. We've, we've gotten a peak of it. And Jesus answers their question a bit cryptically. He says, listen, what the scriptures promised about Elijah coming before me, restoring all things, announcing my arrival, isn't what you saw today. It's about someone like Elijah. And in Matthew chapter 17, verse 13, we learn that at this moment, the disciples understand that Jesus is speaking to them about John the Baptist. So yes, God's promises have been fulfilled. What God prophesied has come true in and through an Elijah-like man named John the Baptist. When he came to prepare the way for the Messiah, they killed him. And Jesus is saying here to the disciples, they'll do the same to me. But don't be discouraged, guys. God has kept his word and that's enough to sustain your faith even when I die. So hang in there, hold on, and wait for it. God's kingdom will come in all its power and all its glory. It's what I've just given you a glimpse of. Trust me. Are you? Are you trusting Jesus? Are you trusting Jesus to bring you into God's kingdom and all its power and glory. You see, it's why God sends Jesus to this mountain and then to a cross. It's for sinners like you and me so that we as sinners can be brought into his glorious kingdom forever. And Peter will get that. He will get that. And that's why he will write in 1 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21, Jesus was foreknown from the foundation of the world. This was always the plan, even when we didn't get it, even when we didn't see it. Here was the plan, that he would be made manifest, that we would see him in the last days for your sake, the sake of all of you who through him are believers in God, that he would die and that he would be raised from the dead, that he would be given glory. Why? Why did God do all of that? Why did God send his son to this mountain and to a cross? Why? So that your faith and hope are in God. Are your faith and hope in God? Through Jesus? 
Acts 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Have you? Do you see it this morning? Jesus in all his glory. So that when he dies for our sins, bearing the wrath of a holy God in our place where we deserve to die, Jesus taking our place as the glorious, eternal, powerful Son of God. Where he demonstrates his power not by saving his life, but by giving his life. Would you trust in Jesus? And when you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can know that God gives you everything you need to keep on trusting him in every situation. And so when what God is doing doesn't make sense to you, remember what God has said through Peter in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, that his divine power, the same power they saw on that mountain, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. See, God gives us everything we need in every moment to always trust him. You say, what is that? Let me give you three ways he does that. Number one, in his word. He gives us this book. You say, Pastor Ken, but you know, these guys finally believed God's word because of what they saw with their eyes and heard with their ears. If God, if God would just show me what they saw and let me hear what they heard, then my faith would be so much stronger. Okay? That's, that's a great question. Did you know that Peter actually writes something knowing that we will wonder this and ask this and think this? It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Peter says to us, we, didn't, we weren't making all this up. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and a voice was born to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. But I want you to know something, people. I want you to know something, believers in Jesus in Bethel in November of 2022. Here it is. We have something more sure than that. We have something better than what we saw on that mountain. We have the prophetic word. We have the word of God himself proceeding from his mouth to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that none of this came from us. As mere mortals, no scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you hear what Peter is saying to you this morning? When you think, I haven't seen what they saw and I haven't heard what they have heard and so I'm missing out on so much that I need in order to keep on trusting Jesus. Peter is saying this, given the choice between what we saw on the mountain and what you see in the pages of God's word, take God's word every time. It's better. It's surer. 
It's complete. The very word of God. It trumps everything we saw and heard. God's word is always enough. And so, Bethel, let's be all about the word. Because in the Bible, God gives us everything we need to trust him. And then he gives us one another. To enable us to keep on trusting him. Encourage us to keep on trusting him. Because what happens on this mountain isn't just for the three disciples. It's for Jesus too. Moses and Elijah are heavenly encouragers dispatched from the Father to encourage the Son in the face of his impending death. Which, by the way, you need to know is now, at this point in Mark's gospel, it's six months away. Jesus is going to die. And if God sends two men, Moses and Elijah, from heaven to encourage his son, how much more do we need encouragement from one another? We need a Moses and an Elijah. I need that. And I need to be a Moses and an Elijah for you and you and you. It's what Peter will write after this scene in 1 Peter chapter 4 when he says, above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another by the strength that God supplies so that... You want to see, you want the world to see the glory like we saw on this mountain? Here's how it happens. So that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You know how that happens? You know how the glory of God is revealed to the world today? You know how the glory of God is revealed to us today? Loving one another. Encouraging one another. Serving one another. So that God would be glorified in us. Because through Jesus, thirdly, God gives us himself to enable us to keep on trusting him. Not just his word, not just his people, himself. You see, for Jesus, it's personal, deeply personal. He doesn't just come for us. He comes to us, to be with us. To bring us to himself so that we might be with him forever. And so when you're tempted to think that God's withholding from you something you really need, remember that the guy who wanted to camp out on this mountain says to you, the best is yet to come. It's the personal presence of Jesus. Where you'll be overwhelmed by his grace and his glory forever. It's what he writes in 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he will himself restore you and confirm you and strengthen you and establish you. He is enough. And he is with you. And he is for you. 
He is everything you need to trust Him in every situation. That isn't just the point of this mountain. It's the point of the cross. So to Him be the dominion both now and forever. Amen. Father, teach us. Show us the glory and the grace of your Son, Jesus. That in Him and through Him and for Him, you have given us everything we need in every situation to trust you. That's why we come to this table now to remember Jesus' death until he comes again to bring us to his glory. And so can I ask you right now, right here, are you trusting in Jesus? Have you come to a point in your life where you have said, Jesus is my Lord, he's my Savior, he's my King. I am trusting him with my eternity as the Savior for my sin. If not, would you trust him right now? Would you come to him in faith alone, by his grace alone? And he will save you. And this glory that we've been given a glimpse of this morning will turn into an eternal gaze for you one day. Would you come to Jesus? And Christian... Let me just talk to the young people this morning for a moment. Has Jesus become boring to you? Like he's no big deal? You see how captivating Christ is? How enthralling he is? How he's more than enough to lose your life for him? To live for him at school and in college and even as you make a career choice? Jesus is unspeakably glorious. You feel that this morning, young person? Or maybe you're older and you've been a believer in Jesus for years and your relationship with him, your fellowship with him isn't what it once was. Would you at this moment ask Christ, Show me your glory. Help me to see it, believe it, to live it. So Bethel, will we be all about the word? It's better than what we've seen on that mountain. Will we be all about one another? We are God's conduits of grace to those sitting around us this morning and will we be all about Jesus God help us for your glory in Jesus name Amen